Good afternoon on Wednesday at 12 noon. Everybody watching on Facebook, everybody watching on YouTube or listening on SoundCloud or your podcast device. We are so glad to have you. We are talking about hot topics once again on the Deep End Podcast. Waters Church presents the Deep End Podcast Hot Topics. It is a special Hot Topics episode. Welcome in. Welcome in, everybody who's watching. Uh, I will be monitoring myself today on Facebook. So if you are on Facebook, in the comments, just so you know, I am watching what is being said in the comments, and I would like to interact with you. We would like to interact with you. Ladies and gentlemen, today we are talking about race. Today we're talking about the conversation from, well, not the conversation, but the message from this past weekend, but more than that, the conversation around race in America and the multifaceted nature of this very challenging issue, very complicated issue in many respects, but also an issue that I think the church has to do a better job speaking to and reacting with and interacting with. Uh, today, I've got in the studio with me two awesome people. Would you welcome Nicole, uh, who is one of our staff members. Hello, Nicole. Hi. She is our children's director, and I'm telling you, she is a wonderful children's director. Never before has our children's ministry been so amazing as since Nicole took it over. Thank you so much for what you do. And then over here, we have got the very debonair, <laughs> the very astute Nicole, uh, Nicole. I almost That's Nicole. Okay. That's John okay. Walker. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And the reason why I call you astute is because you, sir, are a principal. Yes, sir. I just uh, became an assistant principal at uh, Central High School. Awesome. Very, very excited. Yes. And I'm so excited for that for you because we need more Christians in the public school system. I'm very excited to be there. And You've been answers. lifetime public school system employee. 14 years. Yes, yes. It's amazing. And uh, it's, a, it's a very challenging environment for, I think, anybody. Yeah, I think wherever you go, kids are kids, but uh, great opportunities. Yes. And uh, for, you know, um, Christians today, uh, I'm a big believer in uh, public high school. My, my wife and I have our children in public high school on uh, public school on purpose. Yep. Um, and so whenever we meet public educators who are Christians, we are just so thrilled because uh, our kids need to have Christian influence in their public school systems. Absolutely. And uh, so thank you guys for being here in studio today. And we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk. Are you guys ready? Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, exciting, exciting. This past weekend, we talked about race. We talked about um, racism and and a lot of things that we are dealing with as a country. And I said this pretty much at the outset, which is that we need to learn how to see the issue from other people's perspectives because we tend to, and, and when we had a meeting about this beforehand, guys, we talked about this. We tend to build walls and then we tend to cordon off into our groups and it seems almost more intensified now. Uh, it seems more, almost more like culturally and not systemically, but culturally segregated and not just black, white and not just immigrant and native born uh, or immigrant citizen, but in so many other uh, forms of American life. And we talked about this a lot yesterday. It almost seems like the social media world, the highly individualized technological world has caused us to start forming these opinions of other people and assumptions about other people that formerly before we had 24 hour access to other people's opinions and thoughts and perspectives we we never knew and in some ways not knowing helped us get along a lot better that's right yeah <laughs> you know did you guys want to speak to uh, in particular anything about uh, what was said on the weekend 
and then coming from your perspectives, uh, that's what we want. That's what I want. I want to have a conversation around this, and we can just pick up almost where we left off yesterday to talk about some of the serious and very important issues about how do Christians better interact together uh, in, in a very, what is outside of the church, a very culturally divisive issue. Right. I, I would say that what I really appreciated from the message was the idea that the only way that we accomplish this idea of coming together as, as groups of people is through Christ. There's no other way. We can't sit there and just think it's going to happen and that all of a sudden I'll just like you, even though you look different than me and you have all these different experiences. Without Christ at the center of it, none of this happens. The, the conversations that we try to have, the, the uh, attempts to bridge differences, it can't happen unless we understand that we're together for the, for the cause of Christ. And so I think, uh, like you were saying about our, our, our world, we are so separated now even more so by the social media. You can say whatever you want on the Internet. No one can come, you know, come after you, whatever, or you can no, they go can't come cyber. After you, but it's you like... can cyber, yeah, just all these different ways that I can say I don't like you um, without the fear that you're going to come to my house. Like I can say all this stuff and yeah. go back and forth. And so it's, uh, it is a different world for sure. Nicole? Yeah, and I think, like, social media, it definitely helps us to put um, a judgment onto other people beforehand yeah. yeah so like because someone disagrees with me i know that up front and i won't even approach that person i won't even talk to that person bingo um because of what they posted online because of what they said because of a post they liked because of that we separate ourselves ahead of time yeah and it's a, it's an amazing thing because we didn't have i didn't have this growing up right and and so i wonder now looking back if i had to live in the facebook twitter generation how many less friends would I have had? <laughs> you know, how many more people would I have been estranged from? And um, let's jump right into something that's hot topic all the time in America's culture. Donald Trump and his election and all of the things since his election, which have created this shouting match in the culture of us and them and you're stupid and they're ignorant and this all of all these other things that we say about each other. And basically the, the lightning rod being him. Um that I have family members and I have friends that I know that no longer talk to each other, basically because of the election of our president, which right. to me, if that happened again before Facebook and before Twitter and before you could see how people feel about the elected president, mm -hmm. it, you would never have broken off that relationship. How terrible is that for us as a community and as a culture? Right. And, and again, I think it's because our, our priorities are out of whack. We, we say, well, this guy, I like him and you don't like this person. So I'm moving away. It has nothing to do with, again, like we keep talking about Christ. And it's it's more this man is in office and I like him or this man is in office and I hate him. Um, I will say, too, for me, when I look at it from a, a bigger picture, I think it's been like that for the last several uh, presidents. It's It's been such a lightning rod uh, with President Obama and mm -hmm. with President Trump. It really divided our country, yeah. and, and it continues to be more and more so. Like, nope, I'm over here very firmly. For this, this is my this is this my group. tribe. Yeah, and so the even you know you go to Democrat Republican, but even more so now the conservative and the liberal. It's it's there are just people on the opposite ends, and they continue to further and further yeah. go away from that. And like you said, you you losing family members, you are losing people who um, you you know you love them, but now you can't even stand to be in a room with them because of mm -hmm. things that either they posted on social media or the fact that they aligned themselves with a certain person. So and how sad is that? It's, yeah. it's crazy. Like I remember growing up, we didn't talk about who you voted for. You didn't talk about what party you were affiliated with. You just kind of. It was one of those things you were like, you just didn't talk about. Like, it was not polite, but now it's like broadcasted everywhere. Everyone knows who, like, where everyone stands. And it's it does create separation with people. And it's like, oh, well, you, like, you voted for this person, so you must agree with all of their views. And you must agree with everything that they represent. Yeah, good point, Nicole. 
Um, and that's not always the case. That's not always the case. People will judge you based on it. In fact, I would say that is never the case. You're (laughs) always picking somebody that you think, man, lesser of two evils here. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's because of the vetting process of the of the of the uh, news media. They're going to comb through these people with uh, fine tooth combs. And we're going to find out, uh, you know, a lot of stuff that we don't like about whoever runs for president. Mm -hmm. And it seems like this is because it's a national conversation. It's a national, almost entertainment oriented discussion. Like we don't. We don't do this with governors and we don't do this necessarily well, up to that level with governors and definitely not with local selectmen or mayors, you right. know, in, in these election races. It's much more personal. I think it's much more, um, what I would say, uh, kind <laughs> where I'm not I'm not vilifying the guy who lost or won the local election, uh, but because America loves entertainment and America loves you know, the us versus them attitude, mm-hmm. it right. almost becomes like this form of, I don't know, entertainment for right. people rather than, wait, there are serious issues that our country needs to grapple with. Uh, we need a strong and healthy economy. We need a strong, healthy national identity uh, as a people. We need a country that is safe for our children, for education, for all these things. We want people to grow and advance and learn. And it seems almost like we whittle it down to the lowest common denominator of our uh, of our, our little demons inside of us, you know, those lesser <laughs> evils, if you will. And then we almost make that like the thing. Now that, that becomes entertainment. But anyway, we're off on a tangent there. Let's get back to conversation from this past weekend, yeah. which is race in America. And you guys see the world uh, as um, African-Americans differently than I would see the world or experience the world in some respects differently than I see, see the world. One of the things that we talked about right off the bat was that, that we all agreed that we, we don't like the terms too much black community, white community. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, like speak to that for a moment because I was thinking like, that's great to find common ground around that one thing first. Right. I think it is going back to this idea of what community is, right? Cause community is the people in that group. Yes. And, and it's, the whole idea of a black community and a white community, this idea that you can make it so that I know everyone, what they think of in the black community, because this one person is a representative mm. or in the white community, this one person is representative. And that's just completely false. The, the idea we're we're together as a people. So I, I think what's been interesting moving to Rhode Island and you see this smaller group in this area and you really quickly learn, no, it's it's a community. And, yeah. and we again, it's this idea that we almost like that idea of separating and saying, well, I have my special group over here and you have your special group over there and and we don't interact. And and it's really this idea that we need to see it from that lens of no, we're together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it like it handicaps any chance of those groups uniting when we insist on seeing them as completely separate entities. Yeah. You know, you say something too, John, there. That was really good because I, I think that needs to be shouted from the rooftops in America in 2018. Not every uh, black person is what that one black person that you know. Right. That maybe you had a bad experience with. Not every white person in America is the same as that one white person that you had a problem with. Mm-hmm. Not every immigrant is that one immigrant who, um, you know, did violence against a, a, a citizen, if you will. Yep. And we, we specialize in these generaliz- generalizations of certain people groups, mm-hmm. and then we create these content, yep. these, these little refined little boundaries, black community, white community, Hispanic community, Asian community, all these communities, and then, of course, the LGBT community, which we talked about in the previous messages. But it's like everybody has to have their own little community, and then before you know it, your identity, which 
is 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 so shaped by um, a caricature, rather than wait no, you've got neighbors, you've got a school system, you've got yep. schoolmates, you've got coworkers, and hopefully you've got a church family, people that you know and you love and you interact with, and that's your community. Absolutely, mm-hmm. like that's I think what the church has got to be for the world. Uh, again, with our church, particularly here in North Attleboro, the Browning of our church, which I am thrilled with, which I am glad about. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> which I think is a testament to not myself and uh, not necessarily uh, the leadership, although it does have something to do with that to some extent. But I think it has something to do with the fact that the gospel is for all people. Absolutely. When you preach the gospel, all different kinds of people are going to react to it because the gospel is that is that um, equalizing uh, message. None of us get to God. I only said it in one of the, on our own. None of us get to God on our own. I only said it in one of the messages, the last message of the weekend, which is if you put three people on the pier of Santa Monica down in Southern California and you tell them, swim to Hawaii, and one of them makes it 500 miles and drowns, and one of them makes it 30 miles and drowns, and then one of them makes it, like me, one mile and drowns. <laughs> right? Um, not Nicole, though. We learned that yesterday. Nicole would be probably that 30, 40 of her. I don't know. She's a super She's swimmer. A super swimmer. But anyway, you put them all on the pier, and in, no matter how far they go and drown, they all drown. That's our righteousness before God. Absolutely. We cannot make it. And the gospel equalizes all of us. Yep. Uh, black, white, Hispanic, rich, poor, slave, master, employee, employer. It's all the same in God's eyes in terms of righteousness. Mm-hmm. We all fall short. Yeah. And so this is why we are committed to the gospel and we are not committed to politics. <laughs> this is why we're committed to the gospel. And we're not committed to social welfare or social programs or social justice. We are committed to the gospel and all the other things can become fruits of the gospel transforming people's hearts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ultimately the gospel is what brings us together because the gospel says, hey, no, you're all um, you're all sinners before God and you need salvation. You need someone to come and rescue you. And Jesus is that rescuer. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I think, and I didn't talk about this with you guys yesterday. One of the things I think that that's a problem in the church is that in, and this is going to sound funny and you have to come from a church background. and know this. I think it's the flannel graph. I'm going to blame the flannel graph for racial division in the church. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? I might get in trouble here. Okay, go ahead. Keep okay. going. It, what is the flannel graph? The flannel graph. You know what it is. Oh, yeah. Do you know what it is? I think I know what you're talking about. High tech. This is high tech. This is high tech Sunday school lesson teaching, right? We would put this little board up and and the teacher would have like a little paper, Moses, and Moses would go into Pharaoh and put Pharaoh up on the flannel graph. And for some reason, paper sticks to flannel. Uh, yes, I, I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> Some yeah. scientific discovery that was made in the 1940s. <laughs> anyway, it became the standard teaching uh, utensil for Sunday schools across America. And the problem was... Who needs PowerPoint? Keep yeah, going. right. The problem was the characters on the flannel graph were all white. Jesus was white. Adam and Eve were white. Noah was white. Everybody had, was white. You had to work really hard to get the ones that weren't white. Yeah. We had a couple of churches like that. It was hard. You had yeah. to work hard. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> so, and then you have maybe the reaction from the African-American churches is like, nope, we're going to make them all black or whatever. It, and it was frustrating because you're sitting there going, well, wait a minute, Jesus, I think there was some sun out there and I don't understand. And why, why has everyone got to be this way? And it was that exactly like you're saying, it was this idea, well, this is the image that we're showing you and this yeah. is what it looks like. And, and it again went to this, like you said, a separation of people saying, 
well, I don't understand that. That doesn't connect with me and, and moving on. If you went into my uncle's church, Jesus looked just like him, man. My yeah. brother with a jerry curl. It was yeah. good stuff. So it's it really is interesting how we kind of create this Christ that we've decided in our in image. In our image. Versus what Christ is really. And that is he breaks through all those boundaries. He yeah. breaks through all the genders. He breaks through all the colors um, because he's saying, I love you. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm here for you. So, And I remember um, that... Uh, there was a, a, a woman, uh, Fox News had a correspondent named Megan Kelly. Mm-hmm. She moved on from Fox News. But she, one time she got into some serious hot water because she said, she had this interviewer who, who dared say that Jesus was not white. She said, what are you talking Of course Jesus was white. <laughs> it's like, wait a second. He is a Middle Eastern Jew from the first century. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where people are like, I don't want to talk about it. And you're like, if you ever go over there, you might have it in perspective. Yeah. So. I mean, the thing about the Jews today is that a lot of them migrated to Europe and a lot of them, you know, this, you know through the migration to the northern regions of the, of the world, the pigmentation would change over centuries. And so when they move back to Israel today, they are predominantly whiter than they would have been in the first century. I think it is, there is no, there, there is no um, way we can deny that there's a very good possibility that Jesus was brown. I think he looked just like me. I think, <laughs> I mean, what? I didn't want to say that. But you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I think he was brown. And I think that that was a testimony that you think, okay, here he is right in the middle of the human spectrum, even in color. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. To say to the world, hey, I'm for everybody. I yep. am the savior of the world, not just the Jews. Um, but but anyway, back to the point of we cordon off, we create these communities, and it just does a lot more harm than good. And really what it comes down to, what I made the point of uh, this past weekend is you've got to root your primary identity in Christ. That's it. And if that's not the case, you're not gonna you're not gonna get very far. Um in in life relating to other people mm-hmm. because you're always going to have that us versus them mentality mm-hmm. yeah and i think nicole you made a very good point about that when we were talking yesterday about letting go of your identity mm-hmm. and saying no i my first choice is my my main is i'm a christian you know mm-hmm. you want to talk about that yeah like instead of like because um, obviously we all have these identities identities that we identify with and be like this is who i am but as a christian you're supposed to identify with a christian first yeah and i feel like when you don't do that or if you don't do that it stops you from being able to relate to people stops you from being able to relate to other communities people who don't look like you people who don't act like you or think like you but if you identify with christ first then you have that mentality that heart change where it's like i love you regardless because christ loves you regardless of like what you do regardless of how you are different than me traditionally physically um just when you hit when you think about christ first like it, things change. You want to identify with everybody. You want to connect with everybody because of what he did. Exactly. And why do we want to? Why do we want to create walls as Christians? Because any wall we create prohibits us from reaching potentially different people than us. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, when when Jesus rises from the dead, he tells his disciples, "Go into all the nations and yep. preach the gospel." Yep. That for a first century Jew was diametrically opposed to everything that they thought they were supposed to be because they misinterpreted the old testament laws and codes and regulations as to be your when god said you are my holy people they took that to mean you are my better people (laughs) and it wasn't holy as you are better holy was the word holy in in the original language is to be set aside for a specific purpose Mm -hmm. now if you don't know the purpose there's no there's no reason to be holy So the purpose to be holy in God's eyes for the people of Israel was to be that nation that would shine a light to the other nations. They come and learn about the God that we serve. Come and learn about the God who made you. Um, The God is not 
the sun, that God is not the moon, that God is not the ground or the trees or the cows or the whatever. God is the one who made these things, and he made you, and he loves you, and he has a plan for you. And so that was their holy calling. That was why Israel was supposed to be distinct and separate. And that's the reason for all those laws, those difficult laws in Leviticus about separation from the nations. What happened in the first century, by the time Jesus comes around, is that Israel had rather than seeing themselves as holy for a purpose, they just saw themselves as holy for prominence. Yeah, I'm better than you. I'm better than you. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. This can happen in the church till today. Absolutely. And it still happens. Yeah. And this is where we get racial segregation yeah. rather groups. than integration. Yeah. Yeah. People groups. Oh, oh, those people are just different than us. N- not in Christ they aren't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or those people, you know, they think a certain way. Or those people think this way about us, our people. And so now we start to, again, do what we talked about, cordon off instead of, being bridge builders and actively going across that bridge and saying, hey, let's let's talk to people that aren't like us. Let's let's interact with them for the sake of the gospel because this is what the message is for all nations. That's mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So, uh, John, tell us about, tell the listeners too, your background, your father, your mother, because it's <laughs> very interesting. Well, yeah, no. So my, my parents grew up in Dayton, Ohio. It was uh, extremely segregated. One side of the river was black people. Other side of the river was white people. And you did not interact. And the only reason my mom and dad met each other was because of busing. They were forced to go to the same school. And so when they were forced to go to the same school, there were a lot of parents who said, I'm getting out. I don't want my kids to be interacting with these these kids. And, and it wasn't just white uh, parents who were afraid. It was also black parents. And so there was a lot of um, animosity and frustration. And, and we call it the white migration. A lot of people left uh, the cities because they were like, I don't want to be with these kids. And um, mm. and so with all that said, my mom and dad, they fell in love, um, black and white, in, as uh, freshmen in high school. And they made it all the way through. You know, um, they got married very young. They actually had to move uh, to another state to get married because the parents wouldn't sign off. They we're not okay with wow. this whole idea of black and white. And so um, it was a crazy thing. And again, my father's family was very devout Christian family. They just were not okay with my father marrying a, a white person. And so it was, uh, it was a wild ride. Um, they went through all of that. And, and I, I will say that the, what was kept them through was because again, their, their love for Christ. And, and that's what they were able to do. Um, so again, in my father's family, there were black Panthers and my mother's family, there were KKK members and, Amazing. and you sit there and go, how did that work? You know? yeah. And and you again, realize that that's only through the power of Christ. Um, my father, so impressed with him, my whole childhood, it was never his bitterness towards other people. It was that he knew that Christ changed his life because Christ changed his life, it didn't matter all the other things. And it was one of those things you, you grow up in and experiences and you see different things and, and you want to be angry and you want to hold that bitterness. And my father taught me over and over again, let that bitterness go. Uh, God's, God's changes and, and God's given us this opportunity. And so I'm so thankful for what my father and my mother had, you know, they overcame so that I could be here today. And again, the, the, the glue is Christ. Absolutely. You are Absolutely. You are in existence today because those two people, no matter their background, where they came from, yep. they came together through Christ. Yeah, and I, and again, I, I sit there and think there's no other way. Without Christ in the center of their lives, there's no way they, they can make it through all of the different things from both sides, uh, culturally, what they experienced. Now you said your mother had uh, relatives in the KKK. Yes. Your father had relatives in the Black Panther movement. Yes, oh yeah. I mean, w- did you guys have experiences where there was a lot of 
you know, so um, on my mother's side, there were several families who just disowned us. There was never like, you know, violence in a, in a, in a get together. But uh, my father was kind of funny when they were dating it, back in high school. He would bring um, other friends to family gatherings yeah. so that they didn't actually meet my mother. It was kind of messed up. Oh my but, gosh. Uh, yeah. So there was just that reality of this is life. And, and as the generations have gone on, um, I remember my grandmother telling my mom not to have children because they wouldn't know how to handle this new world. And and, and um I'm so thankful my mom didn't listen. So, uh, so yeah, we, we had five, five of us, and uh, <laughs> but it was always this reality of well, where do we have our identity? Where where do we associate with? And and what I was so thankful my father was constantly, consistently explaining that we are Christians, and and that's uh, I think something that really helped me um, have a better perspective on on this world. I know that's an amazing testimony. And I just think about how this, again, I said it already, but you're, you're literally alive today because of the power of Christ to take two people from diametrically opposed and almost in some ways vicious and heinous worldviews toward each other to come together as man and wife. In, yes. And then in spite of the family dynamic that that might have upended in so many respects. Because I, and I tell the church this all the time, is that your first, your first family is your church family. Those people who you know in Christ, and hopefully you have the privilege and you're lucky enough to have um, a biological family who are in Christ. And my prayer is that everybody can have all of their biological relatives in Christ. The fact of the matter is, is that it's not possible. It doesn't always happen. And this is when Jesus says things like re- that really bother a lot of people. When he says things like, a man's mem- uh, I have not come to bring peace but a sword, uh, and that a man's uh, own enemies will be the members of his own home. That sometimes that divide uh, that Christ produces in a family, as hard as it is, it is also a teaching uh, opportunity for people to say, well, first, first and foremost, your now primary identity is that of a follower of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. You are now his. You belong to God. You are placed and adopted into his family. Mm-hmm. And now the people who belong to God with you, you're, you now officially have more in common with those people yeah. mm-hmm. than even that formerly close biological family member who is not in Christ. And that's hard for some people to get. So why do I bring that up? Because in the racial racial topics and the racial issues and t- tensions is, and you had talked about this yesterday too, Nicole, that we, we kind of identify with the group, and this speaks to how we vote, it speaks to how we, I don't know, how we respond to other groups, and more so we identify with the group rather than with Christ, it is a detriment to our spiritual growth. Mm-hmm. Did you want to speak to that at all? Um, yeah, sure. Um, so basically, like, it, when you identify, like, for example, I'm, I'm black, obviously. Um, and so if I identify with, like, the um, black community, um, primarily that totally closes me off to other people. Totally, like, it, it almost I'm choosing first to represent what that represents over my identity as a Christian. Mm. And um, like I am happily black. I'm proud to be black. I love the fact that I am black um, and everything that, that comes with. But I am also a Christian and I am also not just going to vote a certain way because um, that is what That's we are what, doing. The, yeah, the community yes, asks you and, to do that. Um, I'm not just going to do certain things just because that is just what we do culturally. Like I am going to choose Christ first. Um, and I think for a lot of people, I mean, for me, that was easy, like, because I come from a Christian family, but for people who aren't, don't come from Christian families, um, and especially like black people who don't come from Christian families and they want to choose Christ first, they can be seen as um, just, I mean, outcasts from their community, outcasts from their society, mm. um, because sometimes Christianity is seen as a white 
religion. Oh, yeah. And um, it, when you choose Christian first, um, sometimes, again, like you can be rejected from your own community. So that can be a really hard thing to choose, especially if you have people in your family, in your community who are very like radically like set to this is what we do. Um, you kind of have to end up choosing Christ over them. Yeah. And that can create a lot of tension. Again, I have the privilege of not ever experiencing that because I've been raised in a Christian household, but I do have friends and family who like have the opposite experience. Right. When when you take Christ out of it, when it's just simply, uh, I need to survive, right? Mm -hmm. And you think about the situations we've been having in um, different places all over the country with certain young men being shot, hurt, what, all the different things in our world right now, the things that we see as travesties, we see as wrong, and we don't see the, the justice system acting as quickly as we would like. Mm -hmm. When you don't have Christ in your heart and you, you're just angry, you're mm -hmm. just bitter, you're sitting there going, my family has been in poverty for generations and there is no hope. Our schools are, are broken, there's no hope. So when you take Christ out of it, it's very easy to see why we yeah. have such anger in, in, our, in our world today, why we have such separation because when, without Christ, then you sit there and go, my only hope is to yeah. form these groups. And yes. within this group, I will try to survive. I will, I will say, okay, all of my black friends and all my brothers, we will come together and we'll just make it work. Mm -hmm. But it, again, you're seeing problems with, within the Black Lives yeah, Matter. It's a hypothesized utopia that right. your group will all get along. But it, you know yeah. this. Without Christ in that center, that it's not happening. It's not happening. people will always go their different ways. And, it's no purpose. And you, when we can say that even within the church, right, we talk about that anger that we talked about within the black community in the church is that they've also seen, okay, you're supposed to be this man of God and you did these horrible things. You, you said this from the pulpit about me and the color of my skin or the fact that I'm not good enough to marry someone else who looks different than me. Mm -hmm. And you said that from the pulpit. And so there, there has definitely been some. Um, I didn't say that. The pastor, no, no right, 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 right. Yes, yes, yeah. But I'm just saying, that. Uh, you know, no, <laughs> just want to make sure that that's clear but, on Facebook. <laughs> but you, you think about different travesties throughout our our world, just here in America, that has occurred under the name of Christ to people of color, mm -hmm. and you can see why there's there's frustrations there. And so mm -hmm. you just have to go back and remember again that it's about Christ, not about the the person. And and when you keep that focus on Christ, it it, it all. It's it's possible, but again, I, I see why there's such anger when you when you take out that that Christ inside of you, when that's not there, then anger will abound. It's mm -hmm. it's crazy. And, and then, um, oh, I mean, I had a thought and it just slipped down. Oh yeah, you were talking not just. No, let's go back to your story because you you had your parents who who were uh, interracial couple, but now you are an interracial couple. But tell us again because you had that moment, you had that period personally. Yeah. Where you started so to hate my, white people. I, I loved history. And, I, and again, my father never dwelt on the past. He never took the time. I wouldn't even say take the time, but maybe it was because it was so painful. I'm not sure. But he didn't share a lot of his stories. I learned uh, some of my stories more from my grandmother. She was uh, right there with uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X and um, just different uh, people. Push Coalition. She was right there in the, in the, in, in the whole setup. And, and as I learned more and more history, I got more and more upset. I looked at it and went, how can you treat someone who has a different color of skin like they're an animal? Like you list them as, mm -hmm. as property, the, the way you interact. Um, I just got more and more angry. Um, and it was one of those things where that anger started to consume me. And so I became um, a very, uh, I would say, unfriendly uh, to, to people who look different than me. And it, it was tough because here I am. I got a white mom and I'm angry at everybody. And, and it really... Um, took me having an opportunity to move to Tulsa, Oklahoma, where, again, uh, they had KKK rallies right in downtown 
uh, downtown right there. And I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, well, let's go get them. And my, my friend's like, no, John, that's the whole point. They want you to get upset. They want you to do these things. Don't do that. Mm. Um, God started to work on my heart to say, I don't care the color of someone's skin. What I care about is their heart. And how can I reach them with Christ? And the only way I can do that is with love. I can't, I, I can try to have an argument and tell them how they're wrong, blah, 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 blah. But when I show them love, that changes everything. And the only way I can show them love is because of what Christ has done in my life. And so it was a radical change. Um, it threw my mom off. She didn't know what to do with me. She was like, where's my angry boy at? You know, and, and uh, it, it, it really allowed me to, to be able to interact with people in a different way where it's not about what I see with my eyes, but it's knowing that heart and that I want to reach them for Christ. Mm. I like what you said about like, even if we all look the same, we still find a way to separate ourselves because yeah. I think that's so true that like we would still find a way to box ourselves off and be like, well, I don't like them because of the way that they A, B, and C. Mm. And I think honestly, because as Christians, we have to be wise to the fact too that like to, to separate us is the way that Satan would win. Yes. And we need to be united as a community. We need to be, we need to love each other so that we can spread the message of Christ everywhere. And yeah. for us to have those biases and those, those things that separate us from people that stops us from fulfilling the mission of Christ, which is exactly what Satan wants us to do. And if we just fall into the trap of being like, Hey, I don't like these people. So we're not going to talk to them. We're not going to spread Jesus to them. Then right. are we being Christians? That's right. We're not, <laughs> I mean, we're not acting like Christ. Simple stuff. Yeah. He went to the Samaritan woman. He, he healed the Roman centurion's servant. He did things that upset the people who were proud about their Jewishness, you know, their ancestry. Uh, so much, too. And I think about this a lot of times with um, the history of this country and the, and, and the stain on our country's history that slavery is. Uh, and then even past slavery, Jim Crow and segregation and all those kind of, kind of things. I mean, these are stains. Okay, so you guys coming from the other side of this, of this bad history— um, you know, ancestry-wise, what what do you see that there is a tendency uh, to almost use that ancient history as almost like a right to be upset, as a right to be perpetually, um, I don't know what you want to say, uh, angry at uh, the white person or wh- whatever you want to say. Am I, am I on to something when I say that? Is that a reality that you guys have experienced or no? Let's go first, Nicole, for change. I think... It has been in the past, but I think now with like all the things we have recently to back up why we're angry, I don't think we need to anymore. I think it's kind of like, okay, well, this hasn't changed because of what's happening now is kind of more of a reference of like how it hasn't shifted. Yeah. But I don't really feel like right now, um, at least not with my generation, my like people in my age range, that we really refer so much back to that. We're like, oh, well, look what happened in Charlottesville. Look what happened here. Like we, there's more recent events yeah. for us to pull from now. Yeah. And, and by recent events, what are you talking about specifically? Um, just like all like the riots, all the things that have like just everything that's been in our news for the past like five, five years. Yeah. Um, we are able to look at those and be like, yep, mm-hmm, like nothing's changed. Right. As opposed to being like, well, back then this is what was happening. It's kind of like, well, this is what happened and this is what's happening now. Nothing has changed. Yeah. Um, as opposed to just using just those historic events. Yeah. Well, and, I, and I wouldn't say that you, like you said, the history is now, right? Like there's things happened yesterday, things that happen in the future. But when I look at the history of our country and the, the travesties that have happened to people of color, people, Native Americans, all different people, mm-hmm. um, even the Irish and Italians, all different people have experienced these travesties. Um, I look at the black community and I, and I say, we we went through all this stuff and now is our opportunity to make these massive changes. And so the reason that I, I can still look at the history, even when it's painful and it hurts and you see all these things is to say, here's why I do what I do to try to reach 
young people so that they can have a better future. Um, it, it, when I go back, I just continue to see those cycles of poverty and, and the cycles of broken homes and, and those families. Are, and those are real, and I don't think that yeah. white people get that. It, it's just speaking from a white person's perspective. Well, I will say, though, going into the Appalachia, right, I've seen broken white families, too. You know that's what I mean? True you yes. see very rough neighborhoods, and it, it doesn't matter the color of the skin. It, I, I will go back to, the, again, these broken families. And, the, and, again, broken families because Christ isn't in the center of these families, but it's it's been generations and, and almost to a point where people are used to it. It and, is what it is. This is what we do. And you bring you bring up a very important point, the broken family yeah. of, the, of the whatever community, whether it be the Appalachian community or the inner city community or yeah. the community where they are, wherever you are, the brokenness of the home. Yeah. I mean, this is why if you think about the redemptive history, and this is interesting about the Bible. I, you know, I only learned this a couple of years ago. I was I didn't learn. I realized it. You, you see it in the scriptures like, oh, my gosh, it's true. Whenever God starts to do something redemptively for humanity, he starts with a family. Yeah. Every single stage, it's a family. First step, Adam and Eve create a family. Well, that goes horribly wrong. We all know from Genesis 3. <laughs> um, but then he saves the world, not with one man, but with his family. Noah, his wife, his sons, and their wives. So you've got four families on the boat being saved for the, for the sake of humans, humanity's redemption. Yeah. Then you have the family of Abraham. Abraham, go with your wife. Go and leave your father's home, but I'm going to give you a child, and you're going to be the father of many nations. And so there's the redemptive process through another family. And then you have Jesus. Jesus doesn't just show up in the desert somewhere. We have his narrative, this infancy narrative, his birth narratives, his conception narratives. Yeah. On purpose, God's saying, I'm putting redemption into human history through a family. Yeah. It is reinforced from Genesis all the way through the entire narrative of our redemption through to Christ that the family unit is sacred, is holy. Yeah. And to break that bondage, to break that bond is going to hurt people beyond the family. And that's what I always say to people who are thinking about getting married or thinking about getting divorced or um, oh, especially people who are thinking about marrying somebody outside of the faith, which is you're just not thinking about your children. You're not thinking about Who's coming up after you? All you're thinking about is yourself. Mm -hmm. Does this make me happy? Does this person make my life more interesting or more, I don't know, exciting or whatever? And so I'm going to throw caution to the wind. I'm going to ignore these biblical mandates because after all, it's about my personal happiness and they make me happy, so let me marry them. But if they don't, have, if they don't share your faith, that's going to have some serious ramifications yeah. for your children. And I think about how the problem with the industrialized West and the um, uh, what you would call you know America and Western Europe is that the elevation of the individual as his own sovereign of happiness. Right. We we aren't. We are the product of a family. We are a product of a mother and father, whether we like it or not. <laughs> we we are the product of um, these two people who came together, and then we got to think about how how are we going to come together in our lives to create people after us, and those things matter. Yep. And so you're talking about that regardless of color of skin, when the family unit breaks down, poverty, systemic problems, yep. neighborhood problems become uh, uh, almost uh, institutionalized into the community. Yep. Have you seen that? Have you experienced that? Well, you, either of you. I'm sorry. I'm talking about you. Yeah, the way my father made it out, and, and I think about that situation, he had every reason to be in jail, to be um, on the streets, all those different things. They, my grandmother, they it was a rough time back then in the in the 50s. And, and so anyways, they got separated. They got divorced. It was just my father and my grandmother. And they were homeless, living in basements. I mean, all these different things. And we talk about that whole concept of family. My uh, grand, my 
grandfather now, uh, he stepped in and he married my grandmother and they, they made it work. And you, you know that that father figure in my father's life made the biggest difference because he was there. He was consistently there. Even though maybe my grandfather wasn't the greatest, uh, the wisest guy in the world, the fact that he was in my father's life changed everything. And so my father was very adamant as I was growing up that he would be that father figure in my life. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't realize how uncommon that was as I got older, mm -hmm. that here I was a man of color who had a father in my life. It wasn't something that I was mad or bitter about my father. My father was there. He mm -hmm. was present and he showed me how to be a man. And so we have entire community groups that don't understand this concept of manhood. They, they look at what they see on the internet. They, they look at what they see in the music or whatever that is and mm -hmm. say, this is what manhood looks like. And, and we have entire neighborhoods and communities that are falling apart because we haven't understood what manhood really looks like. And again, you go back to the ultimate man, which is Jesus Christ. And, mm -hmm. and, and you make that your, your template about how you treat other people, how you interact with ladies, how you treat um, people around you and what it really takes to be a man. And now the, my biggest thing when I'm working with young people in the schools is there are some of my young men who have created children. And, and so you sit there and go, are you going to take the steps necessary to be in that child's life? Yeah. Are you going to be a father? And I think, again, that that is one of the biggest issues that we face is young men stepping up to be men who don't really know what it looks like. And if, if other men in the community are willing to speak and be mentors in those young men's lives, it really changes everything. And, and uh, so I do look at that, that concept of family is so broken if we can address that, it really changes things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Nicole, what would you say to that? I mean, I've like my experiences are different, but I've worked with a lot of children who are the product of broken families. I worked with a lot of children who are the product of poverty as a result of broken families, as a result of people not um, taking creating children seriously. And it, it definitely has an effect on the community. It has an effect on the mindset. Has an effect on the mindset of the children who are being brought up in those environments. Yeah. And they don't have a concept of what the family should be, what the family unit should look like. They don't have a concept of what who their leaders are and who um, they should look to for help. I mean, I worked um, with a lot of like underprivileged kids from Providence and Pawtucket, and I just I, just to see kind of them try to figure out on their own, you know, like what this life means. I definitely think like it's hard. It's hard to influence. It's hard to mentor without Christ. It's hard mm -hmm. to yep. without Christ being part of it, it's almost pointless. Mm -hmm. um, to say like, hey, here is your purpose. Here is why you're here. Here's why you need to do A, B, and C the right way. Um, it's it's like talking to a wall. Like it, you can guide someone in the right direction, but without Christ, without yeah. that, without putting Christ in the midst of it, it really doesn't matter. The heart has to be changed. Mm -hmm. And that's why Jesus even said that you, you can't make the tree good. I mean, you can't make the fruit good. <laughs> Wait, he said, don't make the fruit good. Make the tree good and the fruit will be good. Mm -hmm. And so conversion we're, we always talk about this is not conversion is not alignment to a certain uh, um, lifestyle, quote unquote, called or referred to as Christianity. But conversion is that the heart has been changed through the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. He has taken up residence and now he has taken your affections for what you used to love and he has killed them and he has given you new affections for himself and for the things that he loves. And of course, this is an instant change in many respects, but it's also a progressive change over the course of your life. Like you being a Christian, a young Christian, you were very hateful and angry at one point, but yet I don't think you were not a non-Christian at that moment. Right. It was one of those areas that I thought, well, okay, I can do this, but all this other stuff's fine, and, and God had to just keep working on it. And, yeah. it, and it comes so. back to the racial issue in that if you don't love people from all different kinds of races, mm -hmm. your heart needs to be changed. Mm -hmm. yep. And the only person, the only one that can change that heart is the Holy Spirit. That's it. 
And I, I'm, I'm sure of this. I am sure of this in our church that there are people who harbor some ill will or harbor some bad feelings towards people from different races, uh, different colors. And again, let's just make one little qualifier here. I know we are all the human race. <laughs> yeah. So when I say races, I'm referring, of course, to colors and ethnicities. Uh, but there are people in the church uh, that still harbor those, those issues. And you, as a Christian, I'm telling you as your pastor, you need to repent of that. Mm-hmm. You need to acknowledge that this is wrong. And then you need to pray, God, forgive me. That's it. Forgive me and change me so that I love people no matter what they come from or what they look like. Because that is how, and this is the point that I made on the weekend, which, which I hope is reiterated here in this moment, um, clearly. That is how Christ loved us. Absolutely. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How can we come together except for the power of the gospel working in our hearts to change our hearts toward how we treat one another? That's it. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, uh, the, 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 the number one thing about the gospel, that, uh, about our church, that I, I think we are in the right direction in is it is becoming much more multicultural in terms of just what you see. Uh, my question to you guys is, uh, what can we do even more so to become the church that says, hey, we're not the white church. You know, we're not the big mega white church because that is also a caricature of our culture. You know, what can we continue to do better? Do you guys have any suggestions or any ideas? I mean, I think from just from what I see, I think we already do a pretty good job. Um, I feel like. But you're paid to say that. <laughs> <laughs> She's on staff. Thank you, Nicole. Yes. No, no. Um, no, but I do, and I feel like, because I, I've been at Waters for, I think, this is my sixth year, I think, and it has transitioned um, dramatically from, like, six years ago to now, and I know even my brother, when he came back up here from being in Virginia, he was like, where are all these black people come from? Like, mm. what, like not just, like, black, but he's like, there are so many different ethnicities here, like, mm. where'd they come from? Like, mm. we're in North Ottawa, where are they from? Right. <laughs> and so I think, like, that's really cool, and I think a lot of people come here, and they expect because of our the where we are in New England, they expect the white church, but they come in, they're like, what what did you guys do? Yeah. So I think just from hearing that, just from being able to see that from people and see the expressions, I mean, like I run the kids ministry and I see a lot of different ethnicities in my kids ministry, a yeah. lot of different languages. Um, and it's just really cool. I think already, I don't know what has changed, but like yeah. we've done a good job. I, I would say for, for you, and this is like a, a, a plug for you, because the thing is, is you are our children's director, not because you are black. But because you stepped in, volunteered, served, and just did some, just did this amazing job, yeah. and it just so happened that it was a, a a combination of events that happened around the time that you graduated from college, and we lost our children's minister, and we were like, who who's next? We need to find right, somebody, right. and we're big fans of hiring from within, and there you were, yep. and it was almost like I remember when Cheryl, I think it was, who came to me and said, "What about Nicole?" and I said, "Perfect." Because I, you know, I saw how event, uh, involved you already were in the children's ministry before being on staff, and it was just like a natural fit. Yep. Let's put her in, let's yeah. and let's give her that authority to take it and run it, and it's just grown from there. Well, and I think you just answered maybe that question too. It's it's really just taking the people who are there and giving them those opportunities to serve. But and if here's the point that I'm making though, because I'll do that. Yep. And I'll do. Uh, hopefully, I'll continue to do a better job of that. But here's my point to the person from that different kind of ethnicity or whatever or that different subculture of our country if you're that person and you say man we're underrepresented at water church well why don't you step in and serve that's it why don't you be the person that steps up to the tape table and says steps up to the plate and says i will park cars i will 
you know, volunteer for this. I will join the serve team. Sorry, it's no vol- no more volunteers at Waters Church. We're that's calling it, them serve it, team it, members because yeah. Jesus doesn't call us to volunteer. He calls us to serve one another. But I will be that person. And, you know, this is how we operate as a church is when we see you already doing something, it's not going to be that much of a leap for us to say, hey, we have a staff position open for you or we have a leadership, non-staff position, le- leadership position for you. Step into it. Yep. Because God is doing something in your heart. And that you're going to see is going to become a catalyst for people that are like you to say, hey, wait, this is my church. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's it. I think we're really not trying to say, let's go get a bunch more black people in the Amen. seats. We're saying, no, let's get great people to come <laughs> to the church. Let's get great people. And as the opportunities come, continue to serve and, and God will give you more opportunities. And I think that's what's so great about Waters. It has nothing to do with the color of your skin. It has to do with loving Jesus and serving people. And, and I think that's what I love about it. Nidia on Facebook, you just said, how about a Spanish service or a Spanish translator? I think that would attract such a huge population that would want to come and can't do uh, can't do to language barrier. I agree with you 100 percent, Nidia. Uh, and here's here's what I'd like to say here on the live podcast is if you can translate, let us know, because we will make the investment to make it happen so that people who can't speak the language can come and hear the word of God. Yeah. Um, no. And I grew up at a church like that. My uh, my father uh well, all of a sudden became pastor about an all Puerto Rican church, and we had to have translators, man, because I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. So it, it's an amazing thing when you bring all these different cultures together. Yeah. I don't know if I can do that thing where I pause for the translator, but we definitely do that thing. <laughs> we would love to do that thing where we put the, give them the radio, and they can put it in their ear. This has been asked by some Brazilians, too. Yep. So they're, they're looking for it as well because there's a lot of Brazilians who are moving to this community, and they want, you know, they can't speak the language. And it's like, well, we can either be mad about that or we can say wait a second let's make a translation happen so that's ultimately what we want to do yeah um and i'm definitely willing if there's somebody out there who is willing to step up to the plate and translate i think there is someone that is volunteering for the brazilian uh population but i'm not sure they they speak portuguese right that's the that's the language yes obrigado yeah that's all i got okay i don't i don't even got that So we would definitely be willing and open to have that happen. And we're just looking for the people to step up and do it. We will make the investment. It's like a little, it's a small investment to say, here, have some radios, walk in, and you're going to be able to hear the message translated into your language. That's great. Fantastic. Anyway, um, this has been a great conversation, a great time together. And I think that is a conversation, like somebody already said here on the Facebook comment, is this is a conversation that every church needs to have, especially today. And I can't agree with you more. Uh, me, Harry Cordero. Uh, thank you for that comment. We we want to have these conversations. One of the things that I think is uh, important and has been stipulated very clearly on this podcast is um, that the way to follow Christ is not to um, look at yourself and where you come from and say this is what makes me valuable. Uh-huh. The way to follow Christ is to look at what God has done in the cross for Absolutely. you. Absolutely. I mean, that blood was shed for you. And regardless of what has happened in your past, regardless of what has happened in your ancestry past, regardless of what is happening now in your particular identifier communities, uh, your primary identity is now rooted in the cross that forever seals for you your redemption. And you've got to then say to yourself, my job now as a Christian to live responsibly to that, responsively to that, is to love others with the love that has been given to me through the Holy Spirit. Friend, if you don't get to that point, you're always going to have a reason to be angry at some other group of people. You're always going to have that reason to feel a hang-up in your life toward people who aren't like you for whatever reason. And we we cannot, and this is an important 
conversation have beyond this, which is, you know, it's impossible to undo the errors of our country's past. But let us not look back at our country's past and say, we're going to wipe out everything about that because of every, everybody in our past because of those evils. Yeah. Like this is another trend. And we talked about this a little bit yesterday, which is the trend of um, some in the, in the political realm of our country is to decry and deny the founders of our country because slavery was still an active part of our country's life at the founding of our country. Right. And even those founders, particularly uh, John Quincy right here in, in Massachusetts and John Adams, knew that, uh, that uh, these, this, uh, the evil of slavery, there was going to have to be another war fought in this country to get rid of that. Yep. They knew it. So they knew that they, they needed to make the country happen and eventually fight this secondary battle. But anyway, I say that to say this, that sometimes we will look back at our past, the people who came before us, and completely obliterate their contribution to human history because they had slaves or they were part of that institution. And we can't do that. We do that to our own detriment because we have experiences they didn't have. And it doesn't make us better, but it helps, helps their experiences help us become more informed as to how we move forward from here. Because there's going to be a generation, two generations, three generations from here that look back on us and say, I can't believe that they were doing that. Right. You know, we all have these blind spots. We all have these things that we don't see presently in our world that are wrong and are not equal and not fair. And we have to constantly move forward. Through that. But the gospel is the path forward. No, the gospel itself doesn't solve all the problems, but the gospel does do is it changes the human heart so that the humans who are changed by the gospel can enter into politics and enter into social welfare and enter into social justice with a heart changed for people who are different than them. Absolutely. And rather than vilifying them, look to serve them. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we talked about that. Oh. Let's just get into this. I'm sorry. I say, I, I sound Uh-oh, like we're going to look in his eyes. I know, Uh-oh. but let me just say something because we talked about this yesterday. I want to bring it up. Black Lives Matter. Yes. Um, let, let's talk about that from what we talked about yesterday. What did you guys? What do you guys say about that movement? Well, and and maybe I'll start this one just because it means so much to me. Um, I think back to James Brown. I'm I'm black and I'm proud. The 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 entire concept of that is for so many generations. You felt. Like you were less because of this. Um, I, I remember I had uh, I had relatives who would try to pass as white so that they didn't have to deal with all of the uh, negativity that they would receive just walking down the street. And so this whole concept of coming back to Black Lives Matter, it's not that we're trying to say that other lives don't matter. That's great. What we're trying to say as a community is that we have to care about our, our people. And when I don't say just our people, but I mean in these areas. I have good friends in Chicago, good friends in Baltimore. Um, there are black young men dying every day. Mm-hmm. And so it's this idea of saying, no, our life means something. And absolutely, you go back to this cause for Christ. When you are a Christian, you know your life matters, right? Mm-hmm. When you're coming into community and, and you don't even have that hope of Christ, it's, it's we're trying to say with the Black Lives Matter movement is this concept of you do matter. Like what you do ha- has a reason. I, I told you being in education, I know already when I see the statistics, the lowest group will always be a black young men and mm. it, it is so sad to see that and so growing up i would tell my teachers oh so basically i shouldn't even try because i'm gonna have, get the worst scores and all this stuff and so it was this it really is this idea to say no belief you can do these things and mm. and absolutely we talked about that will only get you so far when you just believe when you have christ in your heart then it, it changes everything because mm. yeah. you know that you have a purpose you know you have a reason and you keep going mm. 
Nicole. It's kind of like the like redeeming movement of being like, hey, like you don't have to feel like you don't matter because you do. And it's like kind of the way of the black community encouraging their youth, encouraging their teens, encouraging their kids to grow up and be like, no, you matter. So you try. Mm. You matter. So your effort actually pays off for something like yeah. and we need you to try. So it's kind of like that like rally call to be like, no, get excited, get motivated, yeah. work hard. Your life matters. Right. As opposed to not saying like no one else's life matters, but say you, I'm talking to you in this moment. You need to yeah. work. You need to get, you need to work hard. You need to be motivated because it matters. Yeah. That's what they're speaking to. Yeah. And, and there's, a, there's a huge, there's a huge thing with the white people. We don't get that. We mm-hmm. don't see it that way, but you guys saying it that way helps us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we need to hear that because it doesn't, the experiences are different. I'll be the first to say that. The experiences mm-hmm. are different. And you talked, we didn't talk about your your upbringing, Nicole. I don't know if you want to mention that. Just your your upbringing was in a predominantly white community. Mm-hmm. And you were like the one black person in your school, mm-hmm. in your For class. Mm-hmm. And then you were uh, one of the, uh, an exceptional swimmer in high school, which was, you know, news to me. I didn't even know that. And you've worked here for several years. But the thing is, is that you had always had that experience of being the perceived outsider. Mm-hmm. And yet it's, it's, it's important for people who seem like the outsider to speak up to the insiders and say, hey, there is a different experience that you are not aware of. Mm-hmm. And we need to learn from you. We need to open our hearts and open our mouths and ears and hear from you and talk and communicate so that we become better together. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, that's ultimately what the beauty of the, of the body of Christ is, is, is to be able to say, I know I'm a sinner. I know I have blind spots. I know that I see things differently that even in the way that I see it interpret reality is corrupted by my human nature. And so help me as my fellow members in the body of Christ to see better. Mm-hmm. Yep. And this is why these conversations happen. And this is why I talked about racism. And this is why it's a privilege to have you guys here on the podcast with me so that we have these conversations in a way that hopefully helps move this conversation forward for our church. Absolutely. And I, think, Go ahead. I think with having these conversations, I think both parties like need to understand that there's blind spots on both sides and not to enter into a conversation saying, well, I'm right. So I'm going to tell (laughs) you how to think. It's like here, here's my experience. I want to hear your experience and being able to have that open hearted conversation, not try to leave being like, well, I proved my point. Just have a conversation. Yeah, Yeah. that's it. I mean, at the end of the day, Christians, this is the good thing about Christians because, (laughs) because um, the Bible is our final authority on these matters. Mm -hmm. And so we absolutely can have, these conversations about, well, what is right and what is wrong in how you see the world based on the scripturals, the, the scriptural um, principles. You see, if we don't have that, right. there's no common ground. We can just yell at each other. We mm-hmm. can just, you know, fling mud at each other because, and that's what we see outside of the body right of Christ. Yeah. Because there's no final authority. And in Christ Jesus, there is a, this is the beauty of being a Christian. There is a final authority. There is an objective moral truth mm-hmm. to how we should see ourselves, to how we should see one another, and then how should we interact with one another. Mm-hmm. And where we don't see those things happening, we have that ability to say, no, it's in the scriptures here. Yep. You know? Now, again, we're not talking about Leviticus. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about the scriptures in the New Testament. The New Testament is the guide, I really believe. Now, the Old Testament, a lot of the Old Testament rules and principles for how we interact with each other come through the cross into the New Testament, but they are different. They are different because the gospel is for all nations. Um, but that is the beauty. And, and, and so that's the beauty for not just racial discussion. It's the beauty for male-female discussions. It's the beauty for marriages 
to say, I mean, this is the thing about marriages who are in those mixed marriages with non-believers is to say, where's the final authority over how you guys should be treating one another? And if you don't have the scriptures, you have no bedrock foundation. This is what we're going to do. This is this scripture demands me to forgive you. Mm-hmm. It demands me to repent of my unforgiveness or my bitterness or whatever I'm doing that is harmful to our marriage. And so we come back to that rock. Therefore, get into the scriptures and learn how to live responsibly to that rather than just listening. And, and we talked about this yesterday, listening to the noise out there mm-hmm. and becoming a fellow mudslinger. Yep. That's not who we are. We are the people of God. Mm-hmm. And we should, we as the church should be a better visual for the people in our world. This is what could happen if you come to Christ. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. I think that's that part, right, where every day we have to understand that we are a visual, right? If people know we're Christians and they see the way we're interacting with people who look different than us, that really allows them to say, oh, well, they're just like us, right? Mm-hmm. And so our job is to really look beyond what we see with our eyes and understand that that Christ loves them and we have to reach them. And um, I think that's I think something I really enjoyed about our church is I, I know from the day I've walked into the church until today, that I'm, I'm not viewed by the color of my skin, but I'm viewed by being a, a fellow brother, a fellow Christian here and, and trying to grow and learn. And, and so that's something that I really think we could take forward with other Christians that we meet and other people that we meet, that we don't need to judge people. And it is easy. It's easy to put people in groups and separate and all this stuff. But we see them with Christ. And, and I think that that, that it, it seems more difficult, but when God is working on your heart, you can do it. And, mm. and, and I think that's what it just keeps coming back to is the only way we can do these things is through Christ. Mm. Amen. And so we have a church filled with all kinds of different people. <laughs> it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And uh, I want to close with this because this is really how I think we got here. Um, it, w- it would be a disservice for me not to mention my father-in-law, the pastor in Norwood, Pastor Thomas Geyser. He comes and preaches on a regular basis down here. And you guys, many of you know him and many of you have seen him. In 1991, he felt called to come to America from South Africa. Yeah. Now you think 1991. Not a good time. Not a good time in South Africa. And, and South Africa was in many respects trying to, you know, do what this country was trying to do in the 1960s. In 1991. But his prayer was to God, because he had multiracial churches down in South Africa before 1991. His prayer was, God, I only want to go to America if, if you will bless me with a multiracial church. Yeah. And when he came to Norwood, and he, what he did, he took over a little Pentecostal, all-white church in Norwood, Massachusetts. And be, before you knew it, three years in, they had 40 flags on the back wall of all the nations represented in that church. And you go there today, and it's still so much, so multicultural. It's a beautiful thing. It was a beautiful thing for me to experience as a when I first got a job in ministry as a youth pastor to be the youth pastor of that church and to learn from him and to learn through that experience. This is what the church should look like. Yeah. This is what the church should be. I thank God for that experience. I thank God for Pastor Geyser's influence in that regard. I thank God for that prayer. And I think that our church right now is experiencing the fruits of that prayer still to this day because mm-hmm. this church was launched from the Nor- Norwood Church for, with um, five families. And so today we see still the fulfillment of that prayer, and it's a privilege to be part of it. Mm-hmm. So, it's a privilege to have you guys here. Thank you. Thanks I hope you guys... Was that? I said thanks for having us. No problem. I hope you guys all on Facebook. <laughs> I hope you guys all on Facebook enjoyed the time together. Uh, be nice in the comments. And uh, here's what we would say to you, and here's what I said on Sunday. Have somebody over your house who doesn't look like you. Absolutely. I think that's one of the best ways we can be the church in this 
very challenging issue for our country. So invite them over. Uh, have friends, have small group members who don't look like you. That's the body of Christ, being the body of Christ. And you will benefit, they will benefit, and the body of Christ will say to the world, this is humanity, and God loves us. Let's enjoy it. Amen. Hope you had a good time with us today. We look forward to seeing you next week on The Deep End. Thanks for joining us for this week's Deep End Podcast. We pray that you continue to grow in your faith and that you would serve and support your local church. If you don't already have a church home, we invite you to join us this weekend at Waters Church. We are located at 57 John Deach Square in North Attleboro, Massachusetts. And you can join us every Saturday at 4 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 11.30 a.m. Make sure to stay tuned in for next week's episode of The Deep End Podcast.